Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. We're going to have Joseph come up and do our joke. Hello. Oh, yo, that's those are working, huh? All right. Um, my name is Joseph, and I am um, your honorary joke teller. So I just got sent this joke um, from a, f- a fellow member of the group, and I'm excited to share it with you. All right. A man walks into a bar and orders a shot of whiskey, then looks into his pocket. He does this over and over again. Finally, the bartender asks, asks why he orders a shot of whiskey and then looks into his pocket afterwards. The man responded, I have a picture of my wife in there, and when she starts to look good, then I'll go home. Ayo. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise and distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on tonight's step study. Is everybody ready? Let's start. (laughs) 
We're going to say the fog light prayer. If you're not sure what that is, we have it on both of the screens as well as the banner. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Uh, there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Stephanie to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Let's welcome Stephanie up. I'm Stephanie, and I am an alcoholic. Stephanie. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of su sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, sorry, I lost my place. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden and revolutionary changes are described. Through it was not Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by vast change in feeling and in outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experience are what the psychologist William James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of these differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. He has, oh, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With a few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resources, re resource that they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of power greater than ourselves is an essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it a God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover. 
provided, he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He only he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are, indis- these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, which cannot fail to keep a man of in ever everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Uh, Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so please set your phones to airplane mode or just turn them off. Uh, We have a guest speaker tonight. Her name is Bobby. Um, I met her when I first got sober years ago, and I heard her recently, and she's just on fire. So please give Bobby a round of applause. can hear me good this is nice okay hi everybody i'm an alcoholic a member of the sister staying sober group of alcoholics anonymous and my name is bobby thank you so much alcoholics and gods meeting and mike for asking me to come and share my experience strength and hope with you here at a meeting of alcoholics anonymous i mean who doesn't love driving 45 minutes away from their home jumping outside of their comfort zone to a meeting they've never been to with people they've never seen before. And most importantly, like who doesn't love getting vulnerable and talking about their life and their truth to a bunch of strangers? I mean, give it up. So excited. I made my husband come tonight. Um, I don't often do that, but I didn't know where I was coming. I'd never been here before. And he was out grilling. And I said, don't forget you're coming to a meeting tonight. He's like, huh? That's him there. He's kind of cute. Um, only reason I married him. <laughs> Come to find out God had a plan for me. I love how God works. God kind of just works out things. You just put one foot in front of the other. Do what's in front of you to do. Like pick up a guy at AA meeting. And just trust that there is a process And God works out all the details, you know, and that's kind of what happened there. So anyways, I didn't come here to talk about my husband, although he may be mentioned or time or two because he's rather important to my recovery today. And now let's not get that twisted. So a lot of people say, um, you know, don't make your kids your recovery. Don't make your husband your job your priority or whatever. I don't forget the word the saying is. There's a thing there, but um, I'll be damned if I wouldn't admit that my husband enhances the quality of my life, period. I would be damned I'd be lying to if I said that my kids and my job and my meaning and purpose in life didn't enhance the quality of my recovery in my life. So, you know, there is um, some some things that get watered down here in Alcoholics Anonymous that we learn from other areas of our journey in life, and that's called the big, big, big book. And we'll talk about that a little bit too without stepping outside the comfort zones of Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? 
But anyways, uh, let's talk about my life a little bit. So uh, my sobriety date is November 21st, 2007. I was 27 years old when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you do the math, I am 40 now. Actually, my birthday's in a couple of weeks. I'll be 41. So I was rather young when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And by the grace of God, I, for whatever reason, picked up a white chip and never looked back. It was not my intention. I had absolutely no idea what was about to happen to my life. I just knew that on November 21st, 2007, I was brutally beaten mentally, spiritually, physically. I was tapped out. I had what most alcoholics fear, and that is the hustle. I had nothing left in me. And uh, that had happened to me a time or two in the past. So I didn't know that surrendering, walking into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, picking up a white chip and following a few simple rules was really going to change my life on that particular day. You know, I had hit a million and one bottoms prior to walking into the rooms this go around. And in fact, I had hit some pretty gruesome bottoms that were much worse than the one that I hit in November of 2007. So sometimes people will say, well, what was it for you? Like, what was it for you? The question is, um, it was just my time, you know? God gives us all, each and every one of us, a grace period. We're either going to grab a hold of that grace and run with it or we're not. I wish I could say it was because I woke up and said to myself, I'm willing to do anything there is to do right here, right now. I don't ever want to pick up a drink and a drug again. I'm never going to be in a relationship, or at least I won't be in a relationship for the first year or whatever it is that people recommend. I wish that that was my story, that I woke up and that I had everything to do with the reason why I stuck around long enough for miracles to happen in my life, but that would be a lie. When I came in um, in that November of 2007, I legit had no idea what I was doing here. I'd been around before. I had never worked a program, but I'd been around many times. But for whatever reason, this one particular time, I stuck around one day longer, led to one week longer, led to one month longer, led to several months, started to develop what is called a lifestyle change as a result of continually attending meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. So... They say meeting makers only make meetings. Well, there is some truth to that. But also what's really awesome is that if you do suit up and show up, I like the 90 meetings in 90 days because it gives us a chance to develop repetition, which will develop new habits in our life. Because if you come to a meeting every day for 90 days, you're probably going to be inspired encouraged to do what you need to do next. Because we hear it all the time in a meeting, get a sponsor, work the steps, don't pick up and keep coming back. We hear those things over and over and over and over and over again. And if it is your time, you're going to say to yourself, I think I need to do what these people are saying in the meeting that I come to every day for 90 days. And that's what happened to me. I came in here, I picked up a white chip, I attended two, three meetings a day, seven days a week. I lived right next to the 101 club. I had absolutely no excuse in the world not to come. I actually enjoyed it. I'm a people person, so there would be a bunch of young folks sitting out at the picnic table, smoking cigarette, drinking coffee, and having a good time. And for me, that's all I needed. The Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous was my magnet to keep coming back. 
And like I said, one day turned into a week, a week turned into a month and started feeling really good. I got a sponsor rather early in my journey. She was awesome. She only had 11 months sober when I asked her to be my sponsor. Uh, she might have even actually come to think of it. She had 10 months sober and she had never taken anybody through the steps. You know, this is an important fact of mine because you might hear somebody say, find somebody who's got lots of time in recovery. You know, get double digits, double digits. Really, it's not about the quantity of somebody's recovery. It's about the quality. It's about the time that they have to give you to go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where it's at. That's where the plan of action takes place, right there in that book. If somebody were to have handed me that book and said, hey, read that, let me know when you're done, I honestly don't know if I would have made it. I couldn't comprehend basic elementary reading books, let alone the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I had this woman, she had 10, 11 months sober, and she took me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12, and things were happening exactly the way that they were supposed to happen in my early journey of recovery. Why? Because God had already been doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, even though I didn't know it, okay? Like legit, I would get up, go to work, make minimum wage, get to a meeting, meet my sponsor, get up, go to work, make minimum wage, go to a meeting, meet my, I mean, these things were happening repeatedly over the course of the several weeks. And one day I woke up, I'm on the city bus heading to work. And I had this very unusual feeling inside, very unusual feeling. And the feeling felt a little bit like uh, uncomfortable, unfamiliar. And I had feelings and thoughts of, you know, maybe one day I wouldn't be riding this bus anymore. Maybe one day I wouldn't have to work at Petco making $7 an hour, barely able to pay my rent, let alone still be able to afford a pack of cigarettes and a bus pass. Maybe I won't have to live in halfway forever. Maybe I'll get my children back. Maybe, maybe, maybe I have a feeling these things are going to happen for me. And uh, I didn't know exactly at that moment, but it started to open up more ideas. And what I was experiencing for probably the first time in my life was hope. I had never felt that way before. Through any alcohol substance I had ever ventured through, through any relationship, even the love of my own children, I had never experienced the thought and the feeling in the pit of my stomach that maybe everything is going to be okay. It was phenomenal. And it was good enough to bring me to the next day, to the next meeting, to the next session with my sponsor. And um, I started to read that book like nobody's business. I was that person that would read a page, say, what? What did you read? I don't even know what you just read. Read the whole page again, read the whole page again. Somebody finally told me, like, stop rereading the same page. Like, just read it once, highlight what sticks out to you, and keep it moving, my friend. It may feel as though it's not settling down, but read the book, move on, get to a meeting, meet your sponsor, because something magical is going to happen. You're going to hear what you read in the book in a meeting, and then you're going to hear what you heard in a meeting come from your sponsor, and these things are going to develop lifestyle changes, changes in the brain. These things are going to start to awaken the spirit, and I was just like, wow, are you sure it's going to happen to me? They're like, yeah, man, it's going to happen. Just keep coming back. And 
So like I said, I didn't wake up every day and think to myself, man, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be so good at this thing. I'm going to do it. It wasn't like that for me. My alarm went off. I hit the alarm. I went out, smoked a cigarette, drank a cup of coffee, read a little AA literature, went to make my minimum wage, went to a meeting, met my sponsor. These things continue to go on and on and on. And I started feeling better and better and better. You know, what was really cool, too, is God knew exactly what Bobby needed to move forward in life because he knows all of your blueprints, all of them. He knows exactly how to speak to you, to you, to all of you are individually unique in his eyes. And he knew exactly what I needed. So I started to really like Alcoholics Anonymous. I liked the way I felt. I liked the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the people and... So I started to venture into more, and I um, joined a group called AWOL. It's not Alcoholics Anonymous, but they did study three books, and I decided to get into that, and then I went to Joe Bear's Big Book Study on Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday nights over in Pompano Beach. All at the same time, I had a home group. It was called the Straight Talk Group on Wednesdays at 545 at the 101 Club, and I met my sponsor on Thursday nights, and I did all these other meetings throughout the week, and... What was happening is here was a girl, 27 years old, three kids, all spread out over all different areas of the state of Florida, thinking at first she knew everything there was to know about everything there was to know about everything there was to know, discovering that she knew nothing about anything, and then finally starting to hear things that made sense for the first time in my life. For the first time in my life, I started to come to a meeting just so hungry to know more. And it felt so good. And uh, one day I had woke up and I had a conversation with my mom. We were not very close at this point in stage in my life. As a result of alcoholism, I'm sure you guys can all relate. And she took me to the courthouse one day and she was dropping me off and I had this strong desire to tell her that I didn't ever want to do alcohol ever again in any form. And there was a subtle little voice in my head that said, don't say that. Just don't even say it. And just get out of the car and whatever comes to your heart, you know, express that to her. But don't tell her you're, you're never going to use drugs again, you know, or alcohol because she's just sick and tired of that, right? And I got out of the car and I was just looking at her and I just said, mom, thanks. I don't want to cause any pain anymore. And she smiled at me, and I shut the door, and I walked away and got into the house, that halfway house. And I knew 100% that I was never going to drink again. I just knew it. But I also had this feeling that I should never share that out loud to people. (laughs) I was like, you probably shouldn't do that. You're going to be a little cocky. Uh, they teach you this thing in, outside of Alcoholics Anonymous that overconfidence in your recovery is a relapse waiting to happen. So why don't you just keep your mouth shut, put one foot in front of the other, continue to do this work and see what happens. But I honestly knew deep down inside I was never going to pick up a drink again. So uh, let's talk about how I was able to do that. And, and just so you know, I know that I'm also one bad decision away from a drink. Okay, so don't ever think that, oh, that girl Bobby, man, she's real cocky. She's a relapse waiting to happen because Lord knows I'm probably the one that a whole book could be written about. Uh, Right, babe? Yes, I'm one of those alcoholics. So 
Anyways, we talked about step one with my sponsor, and at the same time, these things were working in AWOL, working at the Joe Bear Big Book Study. So again, God knew exactly what I needed. There was a lot of repetition going on. And where the step says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I knew before I ever picked up a white chip that my life was unmanageable. I knew that alcohol had complete and absolute utter control over me. But I never was taught the alcoholism as an illness, as a disease, what happens to our body physically when we put alcohol into our body. I was never taught that once alcohol was removed and I had complete abstinence, what happened in the mind. I hadn't anybody ever told me that, probably because I wasn't ready to hear something that educational, you know? I would have went into one ear and went right out the other. But I was put in front of some really great people who knew how to educate this girl. And um, let's talk about how I knew very much how alcohol had me down physically. So a lot of us in here have similar experiences, and some of them are different. But I know for me, I've come to realize my own personal study of alcoholics, that there are a few ways of becoming an alcoholic. All right? So there's this one kind of way. Uh, you know, a lot of bad things can happen to people when they're growing up. The professional world calls it childhood trauma. Negative stuff happens to people every day. Sometimes it's a lot more severe than others, but everybody processes and experiences life very differently. And this thing happens in life. Maybe this thing happens repeatedly over the course of life. And we develop coping skills and strategies to get outside of ourselves. We are introduced to alcohol. We drink it and drug it long enough to develop a habit, drink it and drug it long enough to develop a physical dependence, and eventually drink it and drug it long enough to develop the disease of alcoholism. Now, once you cross the line into alcoholism, there's no more going back on the other side. So here's a person who started as a result of inner pain, suffering, and they developed alcoholism. There is another type of person who didn't really have anything wrong with them whatsoever. They actually had a pretty fantastic life, had a mom and dad who are still married today that were financially stable, were, was, had the opportunity to raise their child in a really beautiful neighborhood with top-notch schools, and that child had the hottest girlfriend or boyfriend in the school, the freshest pair of shoes and clothes on the market, they were into sports. Who knows? Their life was good, man. They just didn't have any particular reason why they liked the effects alcohol had upon them. Maybe they started hanging out with the wrong crowd. Maybe they had alcoholism in the gene pool somewhere. They didn't know it. So anyways, they started drinking. They liked the effect alcohol had upon them, so they drank it and they drug it long enough to develop a habit. Then they drank it and drug it long enough to develop a physical dependence. Just in case you don't know what that means, that means when you take it away, I'm now physically dependent upon it, which means I have symptoms from not having it. And now I've drank it and drug it to develop alcoholism, which means I've crossed the line, which means after you take it, I have the physical uncomfortability, but even after that's completely gone, I continue to return to it. Maybe that's you. And then there is the alcoholic, like myself, 
like some of you in here. I know some of you guys are in here are just like me. And that is I never really had to drink it and drug it long enough to develop a habit, to develop a physical dependence, to develop the disease of alcoholism. Why? Because I was born genetically dispositioned on both sides of my family at conception. And I know this, why? Because I was able to drink a large amount of alcohol at age two? No, that's not how I know. How I know is because evidence proves both sides of the family were strongly affected by alcoholism. But I also know for two other very important reasons. Number one, when I started to drink at the very beginning, I always had a higher tolerance than my friends from the very beginning. And that was with every substance I had ever tried, which is all forms of alcohol. And here's one that makes me even more different than average non-drinking people. And that is at the end of the day when there was no more alcohol left, I wanted to die. I was willing to sacrifice my children. I was willing to sacrifice my freedom. I was willing to sacrifice any relationship I'd ever had. I was willing to sacrifice my home, my car, my reputation to not feel like I did when I didn't have any more left. And I was like that from the very beginning. I turned to the streets very young to get ways and means to find more immediately. I was the girl who was at the party thinking hours before the party was over that the party was going to be ending. I was the girl at the party that was walking up to everybody to see where they were at with their alcohol, knowing I had plenty of alcohol stashed on my own personal possession, but I knew I was going to be running out any hour soon. So I was constantly in fear of running out. I was already making moves long before it was gone. I was like that from the very beginning. There is nothing normal about that at all. We see, we in Alcoholics Anonymous, we say we're different for so many reasons, right? Because we feel alone in a room full of people. All of these things that we say make us different from normal people. Well, I happen to have built lots of relationships since I've been in recovery with non-alcoholic people. And come to find out, they all felt those ways before. But none of them have told me they had a high tolerance to alcohol from the very beginning. And none of them have ever said that they did the things I did to get more. That's what made me completely different. And it started from the beginning. We have a lot of other exposure to things that will make us at higher risk of becoming an alcoholic, but I'm going to stick to the one, and that's your genetic disposition. And the reason why is because my family is a very important part of my story. I love my dad more than anything in the world. He was the most handsome man I have ever seen. Not only was he the most handsome, he was legit the coolest guy in the world. 
and I lost my father on July 3rd, 2017, to a drug overdose. My father spent his entire adult life in and out of the correctional system, in and out of really horrible, dramatic situations. His dad died right here in the state penitentiary in Florida in 1997. His brother died 30 days before he did from the same exact cause. My little cousin, who also is on that side of the family, died on May 28th, 2018. Um, I tell you these things not because, poor Bobby, she lost all of her family relatives to this disease, but because it's real. And the reason why it's important for me to share is because that would be me too. Same with you. It is not a matter of if we are going to die. It is a matter of when we are going to die once we put that one inside of us. The physical component to this illness is how my body processes the substance, what I put it into my body. If you put alcohol into a girl, let's say they're both 22 years old, 5'7", weighs 130 pounds, they're both uh, come from an English background, they are both given the same amount of alcohol. Two drinks for this girl, two drinks for this girl. This girl's a non-alcoholic. This girl has a very strong disposition for it. They are both given two drinks. Then asked, how do you feel to the non-alcoholic girl? And she says, well, I'm not feeling so good. I mean, I feel like I drank too much. Like my stomach is full of liquid. I needed to move somewhere. It's kind of making me feel a little nauseous. How does this girl feel? Well, I feel the same way, but I think I could run to the bathroom real quick and pee. Probably feel a little bit better. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. All right, well, let's give them two more drinks. This girl here drinks two more. This girl drinks two more. Then she's asked, how do you feel? I don't feel good. I feel very nauseous. I feel out of control. I don't want any more. I feel slightly dizzy, very hot. I just don't like the way it's making me feel. Well, they asked this girl, the one who's got a very strong alcoholic disposition, how do you feel? And she says, well, I don't feel anything like her. I actually feel really good. In fact, I don't feel out of control. I feel in control. In fact, I feel like I want to go to the club. I've never been there before, but I'm pretty sure I know how to dance. I should have done this a long time ago. Um, there's this really cute guy that I've been wanting to talk to. He's going to go there. You guys want to go with me? Let's do this. I feel really good. You guys got some more? You know, so um, there's something that happens in the body of a non-alcoholic. It's called a normal process of poison, right? You put poison into the human body, the human body is pretty magnificent. It's going to tell you, hey, 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 this is too much. It's not good for you. It's caca. Let's get it out. Get it out. And here are some symptoms to make you get it out faster. You know, nauseous, vomiting, diarrhea, shakes, cold, freezing. Ugh, I just want it out of me. That's what poison hap does to the body, right? And then you've got the alcoholic whose body just isn't functioning normally. For example, when the body starts to process alcohol in this alcoholic body, it's doing all of its job. It's taking its components and putting it exactly where it belongs. But there's just this one chemical that just likes to hang out way too long. And they call that acetate. And that acetate sits and soaks inside of the alcoholic's body. And what happens to the physical body of an alcoholic when acetate sits into it for too long. It actually makes you crave that very thing that's not processing fast enough. So now I want more. 
it's actually moving much faster than my body is allowing to tell it to slow down. This is poison. I want you to get rid of it. And because I'm doing this repeatedly over a course of my life, I'm developing a higher tolerance for this thing. It is now beating me down physically, but I'm also starting to do things that normal people don't do, like stop doing the great things that were making me happy, like school and extracurricular activities and hanging out with my friends and being a productive member of society because this thing is making me crave it so much that I'm willing to sacrifice all the stuff I love for it. That's what makes us different physically. They say we're allergic to alcohol and that the manifestation of this allergy is the phenomenon of craving. I'm allergic to penicillin, and every time I take it, which I've taken it once, I broke out into hives. I was in the eighth grade. I was running across a, uh, across a patch of grass in front of my grandma's house. I stepped on a yellow jacket bee up in Michigan. I fell to the floor. It was extremely painful. I ended up in urgent care. They pulled the stinger out. My foot was this big. It was full of fluid. It was black and white. This bee really jacked me up. Anyways, they pumped me up with penicillin, gave me some antihistamine, and sent me on my way. Less than 24 hours, my entire body was covered in hives. I had to immediately be removed from this penicillin. I found out two things, three things. Don't ever step on a yellow jacket bee because I'm, number two, allergic to them. But also, uh, number three, that I was allergic to penicillin in all forms. And that's been since the eighth grade. I don't know how old I was in the eighth grade. I think I was 15. It's a long time ago, 25, 25 years ago. 25 years have gone, and I have never once thought about stepping on a yellow jacket bee. I have never once got a dry cough or an itchy sinus issue, a fever, and thought to myself, I need to run to the doctor and get me a pack of penicillin. I haven't thought that way because it was a Friday night. I haven't thought that way because I'm going to take penicillin in liquid form instead of the capsule form. I didn't think that way because I was going to swallow the penicillin instead of shooting it into my arm. I never thought I could successfully take penicillin in any form whatsoever. So as a person who's allergic to a yellow jacket bee, the manifestation, the signs and symptoms that everybody knows that I'm allergic to it is body of hives. The manifestation of the allergy to penicillin, no, I'm sorry, the manifestation of stepping on the bee is swelling and bruising. The manifestation of the penicillin is a body full of hives. The manifestation of the allergy to alcohol for me is I can't stop once I start. I have all great intentions. I'm going to give you a story. This is a story of my life prior to coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. I have this wonderful, beautiful, beautiful thing coming up. It's on Thursday next week. That's how many days away, guys. That's a long time from now. But I'm on my way home, and I have this thought. Go have one. Go have one. That's not a good idea. You've said that before. Yeah, but it's fine. It's 5 o'clock. Just go have one. You'll have plenty of time. Get home, take a shower, get to bed. It is going to be fine. 
there's a little thought in my head that says, don't go out for one. You have your daughter's dance recital next Thursday. What do you mean? Who cares? That's next Thursday. I'm just going to go have one. So I proceed to follow the idea that I can have one. And I go and have one. And it's 6 o'clock on a Thursday evening, just like tonight. And I go and have one. The next thing you know, it's 9 p.m. And I tell myself, it's plenty of time. Go have another. All right. Go have another. I got the neighbor watching the kids. It's all good. Next thing you know, it's midnight. I'm like, Bobby, cut it off. You got to go to work tomorrow. And you have this thing next Thursday. You know better. Cut it off. Go to sleep. Call it a night. Just have one. The kids are sleeping. You set the alarm. If you're in bed by 2 a.m., you'll get five hours of sleep. It's going to work out. I got the mathematical equation perfectly down. I got the sedative to knock me out at 2 one more time. That's it. Next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. I'll shoot. Well, what I'll do is I'm just going to turn the alarm off. I'm just going to stay awake. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to call into work. I'm going to tell them I'm not feeling well, right? That's what we do. It works all the time. And I'm going to pick the kids up out of their bed. I'm going to take them to school, and then I'll, I'll come home, and I'll sleep all day. And then I'll set my alarm for 2.30 to go pick the kids up from school. It's a great, great idea. Next thing you know, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm supposed to go pick up the kids. I cannot see the light of day. I have all my curtains down. There's no crack of light coming in any window in my house. I'm paranoid as all hell. And there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to go pick up my kids. Well, you got to call somebody to go get them. Nope, don't do that either. It's a better idea if you don't do anything. Let them call your emergency contact. It'll get worked out. Next thing you know, it's next Thursday. I don't know where my kids are. I haven't been asleep since I started on the first one on last week. And um, I definitely ain't making it to my daughter's dance recital, even though I promised her with my life I wouldn't miss it. And there I go again, gone. For another few months, my kids don't know where I am. They think I'm dead. I don't know where I am. I have no hope in the world that anything will ever get better. I want to die. This was the story of my life. I did this scenario over and over and over and over and over again. I don't have a watch. I don't have a phone. I don't have a clock. I got nothing. It's two minutes eight. Okay, thanks. Oh, there it is. The big red sign up there. Whoa. Woo. Like everything in my life, it's right in front of me, okay? So we're going to get to step one today. That's what we're doing. (laughs) You know, the crazy thing is, is that I thought that alcohol was my problem. I thought that that's what the deal was. And I put down the alcohol and weeks or months may pass and I continued to return to it to solve my problem. And immediately, I would go right back in the same scenario I just told you about. 
I did it repeatedly over and over and over again. And it was explained to me when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous that alcohol is not my problem. Alcohol was my solution. And unfortunately, my solution runs dry quickly, very quickly. And um, the problem is me. It's my thinking, it's my attitude, it's, it's my belief system, it's what I um, refuse to take a look at, and that's just an overall lifestyle change, and I just didn't know what to do. I thought coming to Alcoholics Anonymous meant putting down the drink and like holding hands, white knuckle in life one day at a time together. That's what I thought it was, because with me not having a substance in my body felt so bad, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. It felt so bad that I thought we were just going to come here together and have a big group hug, and that was going to like get you through one day at a time, literally white-knuckling life. And I was so afraid to live that way that I struggled day in and day out, losing more and more every time I picked up a drink in the fear of the unknown, And what's so sad to say is by the time I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had three kids. They were from three different guys. My last child is a result of prostitution. I will never know who his father is. All three of those children were removed from my custody. I'm just going to skip the beat six times until my rights were finally terminated as a mother here in the state of Florida. They were sent away to three different homes, and I was just by myself here in Alcoholics Anonymous, all because I was afraid to live without alcohol, even though I knew it was the worst thing I'd ever had in my life. The fear of the unknown, that's false evidence appearing real, they taught me here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got in here, and it was only a few weeks that I felt better than I'd ever felt my whole life. Isn't that crazy? I was fearing this thing, and all I had to do was just stop fearing it and just put one foot in front of the other and trust the process. And I I was taught here very early on that, okay, now you know the physical component, but let's talk about the fact that you can't safely stay sober because being away from the drink of all forms for a period of time doesn't make you exempt from going back to it because you lack power. No matter how smart you are, no matter how physically strong you are, and I don't care if you have like a doctor degree and you're also a lawyer, like you're super smart, right? It doesn't matter with alcoholism. If you have the illness, it says it in our big book that if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit drinking entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably suffering from this illness called alcoholism. And if that be the case and you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer, not reunification with your kids, not not getting a new husband or a new wife, not getting that great job, not getting... 30 days in treatment followed by 30 days in IOP followed by halfway. No, it says that you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer, also known as an entire psychic change, also known as a personality change. It's described in our book in multiple ways, but it all has to do with up here. I have this lack of power. I needed to find something bigger and greater than me because the most important thing in my whole entire world, the most powerful thing that I could ever wrap my mind around was the love of my kids. I'm a mom. I will die for them. 
but I couldn't stop drinking for them. So what could possibly be bigger than that? I was living in a world of ignorance, which was an asset for me. Lack of power was my dilemma. I had to find a power greater than myself, and that power had to be him, capital H-I-M. He was the Father, the Spirit of the universe. He is everything or he is nothing. He is not a doorknob. He is not a chair. He is the Almighty. But I didn't know that. I was never raised around it, and I'm so grateful because that was my biggest asset I could have ever had in all of history in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the reason why is because I had a clean slate and open mind, and I didn't even know it. You guys introduced me to God through working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and coming to hear your experience with him. How amazing is that? Alcoholics and drug addicts introduced me to him. I started to believe in him very early on because my sponsor said, get on your knees, ask him to keep you sober, and at the end of the day, thank him. I did it. I just did it. I had nothing to lose. I was embarrassed if I got caught doing it, but I did it anyways, and lo and behold, I got caught. My roommate saw me praying one day. I was absolutely, utterly embarrassed, humiliated. But I didn't tell her I was humiliated or embarrassed. I just acted as though it was like the right thing to do. And it was like a cool thing to do. You know, yeah, you busted me, but like, are you praying? Are you even working a program? And she's like, yeah, I pray all the time. Well, I didn't never notice, so we might as well just do it together. And uh, we did. We started praying every morning and every night together. We had 10 women in that house. Eventually, after a period of time, all 10 women were praying with us in the morning and at night. The whole ninth court in Pompano by the 101 Club at that time was all Next Step Sober House, halfway houses, and Irish Dave's halfway houses. We were all there together. And uh, eventually, a lot of the houses partake, partook in that praying in the morning and the night. And we also read um, recovery literature, page 86, 87, 88, every morning outside smoking our cigarette and drinking coffee. It all, had, it all came because I did something somebody told me to do that I didn't want to do. Imagine that. Um, I had an open heart. I had an open mind, and I didn't even know it. You know what's really great about God is that it says in our book that he, he comes to all who seeks him all. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, young, old, no matter what kind of lifestyle you have, he comes to all who seeks him. It is huge. You just step right through that baby. He's going to come inside of your heart and open it up like nobody's business. And what's really, really cool about the God that I know is that he knows our heart more than we even know our own heart. Like, I can't even begin to tell you how amazing God is. All I had to do was be willing to know he exists. I came in with absolutely no knowledge, but I had an interest in him because everybody was talking about him. I got on my knees and I would say, God, keep me sober. He was looking down at me, thinking, 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 and being so grateful that it was my time. Not that he didn't already know anyways. But here's the funny thing about Alcoholics Anonymous that also taught me something very individually and unique. I had to straighten out spiritually, okay? I had to, spirit, I had to straighten out spiritually and mentally before I can overcome the physical component of alcoholism, which seems crazy, like it seems kind of backwards, right? How does that happen? How am I going to straighten out this physical component if I have to do this first, don't I have to straighten out the physical part first so I can get this? No, God gives us a grace period. He's going to remove 
that thing you're using as a solution for a short period of time. That's what a grace period is, folks. You guys know that. You've all been evicted before, right? (laughs) So here's this like period of grace that you're getting. What are you going to do with your grace period? Get it together. Are you here today and you've just been riding this this, uh, rug? I don't know what you ride around here. (laughs) But have you just been coming to meetings and that's it? I promise you. There's more. God's got so much more for you. The 12 steps were designed, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was designed to enable you to find him, capital H-I-M. Do the work. He's going to reveal himself to you. He has a unique, individual, beautiful, flawless, amazing relationship waiting for you going to be that good. So like early in recovery, I used to hear a lot of people say that, um, think about what you want out of this life in recovery in five years. Like, in fact, if you're here now and you're semi early to recovery, let's just pretend like you can have whatever you want in five years, right? Just think about it. And then they told me that whatever I just came up with up here, I'm going to shortchange myself because I was going to get a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I was like, damn, because (laughs) I was just thinking about like a nice house on the intercoastal with a boat. I don't even know why, because I don't even like the beach. I don't even like boats, but that's what I thought. You know, um, I was thinking about, of course, I'll get my kids back. I'll make six figures with doing whatever it is I figure out what I'm good at. Uh, you know, this is a life. So our wildest dreams, oh, it's going to be better than that. I'm going to hit the lottery. I'm just going to be completely financial free, freedom. Um, you know, I didn't know what they were talking about because it was beyond what I can wrap my mind around. And here I am, slowly approaching 14 years of sobriety, and I have a pretty good understanding of what that means today. And the reason why is because I didn't know what I wanted until God began to give it to me. One of the greatest gifts I'd ever gotten out of this whole entire journey that I didn't know I wanted until I got it was this simple fact that God exists. I know that deep within the core of my soul. I discovered him by working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He came to me in a very unique, special, powerful way when I was close to five months sober. And I have never since that day doubted the existence of God most amazing fact in my life. And since then, I've discovered uh, only by the lessons here in Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm either spiritually growing or I'm going. You know, I started this speech off today telling you that I knew there was a day in my early recovery that I knew I would never drink again. But it's only because I've been given the tools to exist in a spiritual enhancement of my life on a day-to-day basis 
because I'm either going to be spiritually growing or they say we're going. We're either going to be in progression or we're going to be in regression. We have a short shelf life. It needs to be renewed daily. I've built up this, what we call a reprieve, but people like myself, and I told you I have a whole chapter written about me because I'm a little sicko. My reprieve literally gets fizzled out five minutes after being awoke in the morning. I mean, like legit. I have to plug in to the Father every single day, multiple times a day. I have to be open and willing to do what he puts in my course of my path, which includes coming out here in Fort Lauderdale on a Thursday night to get uncomfortable, to get vulnerable. And it includes taking women through the 12 steps of recovery. And it includes when God says it's time for you to take on another adventure in your life, it includes being ready and willing to do that. And that could be a number of things. God has spoken to me in a million ways. He told me to quit smoking cigarettes and I nipped it in the butt. You know, he said, get out of this healthy relationship. I said, not yet. He said, okay, you ready now? No. Okay. How about now? Yes, God, I want to do it now. Please help me. This has been the story of my life for almost 14 years. It's called trial and error. Do things Bobby's way until the pain gets great enough. And he is constantly there with open arms, ready and willing to wrap them around me and say, let's go, babe. I got your back. God has been so good. So, so good. There's nothing in in this life that will make us go back out and drink and drug again. You keep your number one priority, your recovery, a.k.a. your relationship with him, capital H-I-M, and you are going to be amazed. Thank you guys for letting me share. Let's thank Bobby one more time. We have a one of a kind trinket for you. Here you are. You. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming all the way out here. Uh, we're going to have our secretary support from our alcoholic secretary, Chelsea. Hi, my name is Chelsea, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I've asked Tim to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. My name is Tim, recovered alcoholic. Uh, The recovered statement. We're not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That that presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we are cured, we should be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol remained with us for a, a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than the body. And that's on page 23. We are now somewhere alcohol is concerned, 
consciously we have recovered. Um, 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Um, can I see a show of hands of all you recovered alcoholics? Um, anyone needing a sponsor, please raise your hand. All right. Um, anyone celebrating a year or more, um, please stand up and announce your name and year. <laughs> And I am Chelsea, and I have a year on the 15th. Anyone else? All right. Please join us Monday. Huh? Oh. Please join us Monday night's Big Book Study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30, and Big Book Study starts at 7.15. Um, this is the Alcoholics Anonymous Broward County helpline. That's the hours of operation, phone number, and website. This is, I was informed last week, two different meetings. <laughs> so at the top you have um, one meeting that is at 10, um, the second Saturday of the month at 12 Step House. It's where you can get AA literature and like medallions and stuff. And then the other one is Broward County Institution Committee, which is the second Saturday meets, yeah, the second Saturday at 10 o'clock at 12 Step House. And then these are our meetings where we do like the podcast and stuff. Um, We have CD, is that it? Okay. We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red book and big book dictionaries for sale and we meet every thursday starting promptly at 7:15 p.m and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bell see you next week and all of our speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org um, again we'd like to invite you to our monday night we do a big book study And to those who would like to thank Bobby, you can uh, line up down the center aisle. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we have Marion W. speaking next week as our guest speaker. Come bring your sponsees, your friends, etc. for next week. And thank you for coming. Hey, hey, hey. Ooh, heart is heavy. Soul is thirsty. Bye.
sé qué. I am desperately in need of restoration. Strong. 
Little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little 
All right, Michael Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind and um, here you go. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Well, clap your 
Thank you very much.